Please turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 22. And while you do that, I'm going to pray for our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray, Lord, that you make us alert, completely having open ears, Lord, to hear what you would have for your church to hear. And Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding of your word. And as we look at the King's invitation, Father, here in these first few verses of this chapter, Lord, I pray that you would help us to also um, see how it is that your grace is, is open and uh, available for every single person. And, uh, and so, Lord, I, I pray, Father, that you would have your way with us this morning, Lord, and uh, teach us, Father. Uh, may we apply this to our lives to bring you glory and uh, for your servant to continue uh, to be sharpened, encouraged, strengthened, Lord, and mature in your word. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the King's Invitation is the title of this morning's message. We are going to be going through the first 14 verses of this chapter. So let's begin by reading uh, the verses that we'll be covering. And again, verse 1, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. And he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Verse 11, But when the king came in to look at the guests, He saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. I imagine a king's invitation... To come to the wedding feast of his son, to be a once-in-a-lifetime thing, Uh, an extraordinary occasion, one thing and one event, uh, an invitation that no one in their right mind would deny, would ignore and completely turn their back on. In my opinion, today there are more and more people that are illogical. Don't make any sense. In other words, they're they're lacking sense, lacking clear, logical reasoning, irrational, unreasonable, unsound. And you think about the way in which people think sometimes, and we see the decisions that they make, the ways in which they do things, and you think, that's illogical. Why would anyone do things in that manner? Good is bad, bad is good. But we know that in the last days, that's exactly the way things will be. And I believe, according to the Word of God, that this will only increase with time. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5 through 5 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. And that's why I think, you know, as we take a look at this, <clears throat> at this parable, at the king's invitation, how it was that the initial denial was completely beyond logic. It's like, how, why would anyone completely deny and turn their back on an invitation to come to the wedding feast of the son of a king? Right? Would you? No way. We just saw how it was that uh, President Trump went and visited with the queen of England. Beautiful, right? Absolutely regal, royal, beautiful, everything about it. But that pales in comparison to what this parable is foreshadowing. And, and that is the kingdom of God. This morning we begin with Jesus' parable of a king's invitation. And he's comparing this to the kingdom of heaven. And for this reason, they as we ought to listen closely to what the Lord has to say. I had said before that any time Jesus is speaking of a parable, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, we ought to pay close attention and listen to what he has to say. For he's speaking about those who have surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and look to him as being Lord. A response is not an option here. For no response is a response in and of itself. But that is not what the Lord desires. We know that. He doesn't desire that we would be indifferent. He doesn't desire that we would deny His invitation. No, He desires that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He desires that all would come and partake of the feast that He has prepared. We bring nothing to the table, literally. We bring nothing. He has it all. And He offers it freely by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But that is, we need to understand, in this life here right now is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. Jesus invites all who will accept His invite to come and enter into the feast of those who receive His grace by faith in Christ Jesus. That is really the question. That is a statement that is also a question for us to answer. And so let's begin by taking a look at the first couple of verses here. It says, And again Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, we often, I think it's noted in um, the Gospel of Matthew, some 32 times the kingdom of heaven. It's, uh, it's very much particular to Matthew. But we also know that he, he also said the kingdom of God. They're interchangeable. They're not different. They, they mean the same thing. In the general sense, the kingdom of God is his sovereign rule over the whole universe. The Lord's throne is in heaven and he rules over all. He never 
denied that for us even today. You can refer to Psalm 103, verse 19. And then God's kingdom is eternal. It's not temporary. It's not for a time and then not. But it's eternal. You can, if you're writing down notes, jot down Daniel chapter 4, verse 3. And we know that there is no one greater than the Lord. Anywhere and at any time. Now, the personal application of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is a spiritual lordship of a person's heart and life. God having a, a, a authority, lordship over our hearts and over our lives in its entirety. But we need to understand this, that we can only say this, that we are part of God's kingdom if we have submitted to His authority in our lives, completely holy, given our hearts to Him. That is, those that willingly submit to God's authority are regarded by God as being part of His kingdom or part of His heavenly, godly rule, regarded as as His spiritual people, His people who are His now and for eternity as we've surrendered to Him. But those who refuse God's authority are not part of the kingdom of God. No matter how much they say and claim differently. If their lives reflect a a, a rejection of God as Lord, we we can always say, He's my Savior. I believe in God. Well, even the demons believe and they tremble. Right? So, so what? The way we demonstrate that He is truly our God, that He is truly our Lord, is by the way we live our lives. We please Him, we bless Him by our faith, and faith without works is dead. We demonstrate our faith by our works in obedience to His Word. So if lives reflect a rejection of God as Lord and as ruler, then those people's claims of being a Christian is really highly questionable. Very questionable. Too many people are rejecting God's authority in their lives, both knowingly and ignorantly. In rebellion and with complete ignorance following basically the lead of those who are also ignorant. And have no clue what the Word of God has to say. God's character and what true salvation looks like. Jesus continued to speak to the religious leaders in parables. Remember that this is, this is now number three of three parables that we've gone through. We've gone through the first two parables and now here is the third one. Before Jesus' question about these poll taxes that we're going to look at next week. We also need to keep in mind that we have before us His disciples. The crowds are following Him. And who He is addressing are the religious leaders. They're listening to His warnings of rejecting Him. This is what this parable is. But in that, we see God's grace extended to all mankind. The parable 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And so we need to listen closely. The invite to the royal wedding feast. Verse 3 is the first invitation. It says, And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. This is the first invitation of three. There is hardly an event that is more significant in the life of a person than their wedding. There's just none that compares to it. There's all kinds of other events that we can go to and we can treasure and we can hold in high esteem. But there's hardly an event that really tops our wedding. That is like the pinnacle of social events that we can experience in our lives. That's it. Now, to top it off, this is the wedding feast of a king's son. And it was time for those who had been invited to come to the wedding feast. All was prepared. All is set. The table is set. You have received the invitation, and now the call comes. Come. Come. It's, it's all ready. But they would not come. Again, if we really think about it, This is an open invitation. Those who have been invited are now called to the wedding feast of the king's son. And it just seems illogical. Just seems odd, unreasonable, lacking any sense whatsoever that they would just, eh, we're not going. If you were invited to a wedding feast as such, would you ignore that invitation? Hey, it's time to come. The hour has come. Let's go. I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I would not. Right? Let's go. Let's do this thing. It's all there. We're not told why. Just that they simply rejected the invitation and they simply would not come. That's it. But here comes the second invitation. Verse 4 says, Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. This is the second invitation. Uh, in, In the second invitation, it is perfectly clear that the king was indicating that he sincerely desired for those who who were invited to come to the wedding feast for his son. Hey, I'm not just telling you, hey, just come, everything's ready. You know, listen, the fattened calf, everything is just taken care of. Come. Just come. The king also made it very clear that they did not have to bring anything with that. It's all provided for you. All is prepared for the king's dinner. It was customary in that day and in the Jewish custom to send out invites without a date. Here's the open invitation. As soon as everything is ready, then we will send messengers out to call you to come to this wedding feast. So, the people that Jesus was addressing knew perfectly clear exactly what all of this meant. I think it paints a great picture that all are invited. But there is going to come a day to where where the call 
comes, and it may be this morning for you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, what are you going to do in that moment? That's what matters. What are you going to do with the Son? The invitation to come freely, openly, without having to bring anything by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Just simply receive that which God offers. Forgiveness of sins. Eternity with Him. This also gives us a picture of how at some point that will come without notice. You know, hey, it's open to everyone, but at a certain time, it's time. Will you deny or will you receive? Those invited at any kind of a, a wedding feast invitation needed to be ready and willing at the time of the calling. On the day when all was prepared, messengers again would be sent out to communicate to them that everything was prepared and the king was ready to receive his guests. And so those listening to this parable, again, were familiar with this, this event. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Remember that they had already acknowledged, oh, he, he's talking about us. In fact, we see here how, in verse 45 of the previous chapter, it says, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And so Jesus continued. And here's this third parable. It's like, yeah, this is what they had in their hearts, but he just continued on with this parable. Explain to them, yeah, you're, you're perceiving correctly. And here we go with the third one. So they were very familiar with this, the culture, and of course, exactly what this was saying to them. The example of a king having sent out his invitations and then letting everyone know that all was prepared, but then being rejected and refused. Well, here's a response in difference. Verse 5 speaks of that. In verse 5, it says, But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. Just indifference. One just back to his his farm, just to kind of do his own thing. Another to his business, being a merchant and being about that. Just completely ignoring the invitation of the king to come. The response of some was just plain lack of interest. Apathy. Just don't really care. I could care less whether it's the king's son or the king's daughter or whatever. I'm not going. I have no desire to go. The king can do his thing and I'll do mine. Quite honestly, that's exactly the way much of the world responds to the invite that we see in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the church does. That's a religious thing. God can do His thing and I'll do my own thing. I'm going to go back to my farm. I'm going to go back to my business. And He can do His own business. Kind of just apathy. Just, just an indifference toward the Lord. And that's what we see in this, in this verse. Nonetheless, this is what we need to also acknowledge. Is that the invitation was still presented to them. It is the individual's choice 
whether they respond to that invitation or not, and they will be held accountable for that. I also want to note something else that perhaps normally when you teach through this, these 14 verses of this chapter is that we don't really think about the servants. The servants, the messengers that were sent out were being faithful to the king and, and simply went out regardless of whether they were rejected or not. They understood it wasn't them that were being rejected. It was the king's invitation that was being rejected. But they were faithful nonetheless. As we go out into the world, may we never shrink back from doing exactly what we've been called to do, to do the work of an evangelist, to just at least give the invitation, to present the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation being offered to all. We also see in verse 6 another response. It's hostility and aggression. Verse 6 says, While the rest sees his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. This aggression toward the king's servants was absurd. It was senseless. Think about this. These were messengers. They're just coming to call those who were invited to the wedding feast of the king's son. That's it. Well, obviously, you know, if they came to call us to the invitation, we should kill them. Right? We should put them to shame. We should ridicule them. Like, does that make any sense whatsoever? The answer is no. Why, why would you do that? It's senseless. It's absurd. Number one... They forcibly took the king's servants captive. Number two, they humiliated the king's servants. And number three, they killed the king's servants. What they were doing was deser- or was what they were doing deserving of death? That is not the not the messengers. I'm not talking about the messengers. I'm not talking about those who were servants of the king, but those who had took them captive, shamed them, and then killed them. Well, the servants weren't deserving of the treatment that they received, but at the same time, those who took them captive, shamed them, and killed them were deserving of judgment themselves. There was no reason to do any of that. Verse 7, after this was done, the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Prophetically speaking, this happened to Jerusalem as judgment did come upon them as they rejected Jesus and his invitation and even treated those he sent, his messengers, his servants, and killed them. Jesus here is giving the warning that we know went unheeded. The religious leaders did the very thing that we see in this parable. They, they did the very same thing. Just look at how it was that the apostles were martyred, the disciples were killed, and they were scattered all over. But that was for a purpose. We know that the, the, the dysphoria was for a purpose, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would travel throughout the world. Right? But this is exactly what they had done to the messengers, the servants, 
of the Lord. The question is, as we know that the religious leaders did this very same thing, is the world today any different? Is it any different? And the answer is no, it's not any different. Some people are indifferent toward the invitation of Jesus to salvation, forgiveness of sins, and eternal glory. Others are purposefully ignoring the things of God and instead doing, quote-unquote, their own thing. And still others are hostile and absolutely aggressive toward the Lord and any of His servants. Have you ever experienced that? You know, just, just for people in the workplace sometimes to come to realize that, oh, you're a Christian, you're like, you're like a religious Christian. You know what I mean by that, right? Like, like you're, you're someone who actually goes to church every Sunday. Do you read your Bible? Oh, my. Right? You, you, you are, uh, you, they don't know this, but you're a conviction to me. Yeah, have you ever walked into um, the lunchroom? And, and there's, there's, a, there's a crowd of guys, you know, around, let's just say. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, as you walk in, go silent. Oh, Rawls in here. Don't say that. You, you can't say that anymore. There are some people who are, are not just like that, but, but they're absolutely hostile. Have you ever been questioned, like cross-examined? Like, oh, if that was so true, then why this and why that? And they start coming at you. It's aggressive behavior. It's like, where does that come from? It comes from the pit of hell. That's where it comes from. There's an aggression. There's a, a spiritual warfare that's taking place. There's a hostility toward the things of God. And we have the flesh, we have the world, and we have Satan that comes at us. And it is very real. If you haven't, if you haven't experienced hostility, just because simply you're a Christian, uh, then just hang out for a while. Be known, make it known that you're a Christian and you walk with the Lord and you actually believe what it says in the Word of God and you're applying it to your life, lives and, and, and you, you walk it out, oh, you'll receive hostility. It comes with time. In this world, you will experience tribulation, the Lord said, but do not lose heart, for I have overcome. In Christ we have overcome all that. This temporary life we, we warn, we battle in these different situations. But this is, this is nothing. Let's get beyond this. The whole purpose of this life is to glorify the Lord, to be pleasing unto Him in difficult circumstances and in good circumstances. But one day, what, what we want to know is that we have been faithful to the Lord, that we have stood our ground in God's truth, and we have blessed the Lord. In all things, in all matters. So this hostility and aggression toward the Lord is quite common. And we know this today. And there is still this simple invitation to come to the Lord and to receive what He has prepared for you. And the enemy does not like it. So that's why there's this, there's this opposition. There's, there is an indifference. The enemy will come and say, you know what, there's, uh, there's this invitation, but you have time. The Bible says that tomorrow's not promised to anyone. You may not have time. We don't know if we have the next moment. We really don't. 
So that's a scheme of the enemy to make us believe that, oh, you can be indifferent. You know, live the Epicurean life, all for pleasure and all for yourself. And then one day, perhaps, when you're old and ready to to die, then, then you can accept the Lord and then, you know, that's it. We don't know. You may be, your wait may be too long. By a day. By a moment. This hostility comes when we're gaining ground and moving forward and, and the enemy doesn't like it, so he opposes us. So there's this aggression, this hostility, and it's very real. And then verses 8 through 10 moves to this open invitation. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Why were they not worthy? Who is worthy? No one's worthy, right? He who is worthy is he who simply submits and surrenders to the invitation, accepts the invitation. Come, I will, I accept. Our worth is found in Christ, not in and of ourselves. Verse 9 says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So who's invited? All. I'll break down all in the Greek. All. <laughs> it's, it's all. It's, it's just all. It's everyone. For God so loved the world and all, all mankind. He loved everyone and loves everyone. He desires that none should perish. Those who reject Jesus, well, they remain in their condemnation. For apart from Christ, they're condemned already. This is now the third invitation. And the king sent his servants everywhere and invited everyone. Highways and byways. Go, go, to, go wherever. And everyone that you come in contact with, invite them. Invite them to the wedding feast of my son. Invite them. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. These nobodies were now somebodies in the presence of the king. And were enjoying the wedding feast just because, just because they accepted the invitation. That's it. That's, that's it. Can you imagine this though? Someone, let's say you're walking on, on, on the street today. Someone comes up to you and invites you saying, hey, the king would like to extend an invitation to you to come to his son's wedding feast. Wouldn't you be like, okay, so where's the camera? Am I going to be on YouTube here? What, what, what is this for? You know, is this a joke? Says, no, no, this is not a joke. But you must come now. Everything is prepared. Right now. Yeah, you, you don't have another moment. This is the only invitation that really you're going to get. 
Just come. Everything is ready. It's not a joke. And, and I don't have to bring anything. No, you don't have to bring anything. Just come. It would be kind of wild, right? Be kind of shocking, kind of like, really? Okay. So this is, this is truly the king. This is truly the king inviting you to come. What this is a picture of, how it was that the Lord turned to everyone, is a picture of grace. It's a beautiful picture of grace. Remember that the Bible reminds us in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why it's kind of funny when we look at this and, and it says, and, uh, you know, and those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. Both bad and good. Now, those weren't the words of the king. Those were the words of the servant. That's what they did. So what does this mean? These people being good and bad. Well, whatever social label they were given, it didn't matter. All were invited. We look at people and we go, that one's, that's a good person right there. That, you know, very good person. And that one, oh no, that one's bad. That, that, one's, that one's bad. These servants, these messengers, they were going to everyone. I don't care if you want to call them good or bad. Everyone's invited. Come. Everyone's invited. Are you willing to receive? Are you willing to come? The king will receive you openly, freely, giving you everything that he has. Come. It's a picture of grace. The king's servants were instructed to not deny anyone the invite, extend it to everyone. This invitation we have today in the gospel of Jesus Christ, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him. Well, I've done too much. No, you haven't. Is Is there any place that God's hand of grace cannot reach? No. Well, you, you absolutely don't know what I've done. No, I don't know, but God does. And He says that He who confesses to Him, He who receives Him, He who asks for forgiveness, repents of His sin, He will, he will take His sin and He'll cast it away from Him. As far as the east is from the west. That's how far. He'll remember it no more. He'll pour His grace out upon Him. And he who has been forgiven of much, oh, there'll be great joy and he'll be thankful beyond imagination. I remember personally when I came to the realization that I was forgiven because I've done much. And I remember the, the, the moment. It's inexplicable. It's beyond words. All I can say is what I came to know personally was that I had been forgiven of all of my sins. And I understood that it was past, it was present, I wasn't going to be made perfect this side of heaven, and He would continue to forgive me if I genuinely surrendered my life to Him. And it was like, it was this burden that was lifted off. And I knew I was free in Christ. I knew it at that very moment. This invitation, this grace is extended to everyone. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
God is no respecter of persons, whether for judgment or, more importantly, for grace. But just remember, it's your choice. The invite is there. But remember that even in this parable, there were those who were invited, but those who also rejected the invitation and the call to come. Verses 11 through 14, there was a man who was found unclothed. Verse 11 says, But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Well, we know that nothing escapes the king, and none of those who come will not be seen and examined by the king. All will come before his eyes. In this parable, we learn how the king came to examine his guests and found this man who was not clothed. It was required that he have a wedding garment. He was questioned by the king as to how he got in. But was, as we learn, he was speechless, without word. He was, he was as if muzzled. He couldn't say a word. He had no answer to give because he did not belong, for he was not properly clothed. He was invited and he came, but the question is, why did he come? The reason a person comes is important. There are some people that come for their own personal benefit and blessing for themselves, not realizing that what has been offered is, is beyond what we could receive on the earth. The reason a person comes is important. It could have been that this man came to enjoy the feast and the event as a whole, but had an absolute disdain and no intention of honoring the king's son. The king and his son meant nothing to him. Absolutely nothing. He just wanted the benefits of being among the king's guests and partaking of the amazing feast that was available. To be very honest with you, I've seen that within the church. I've seen people... You know, I think it's good for me and my family just to be in church. You know, just to be among these good people. And, you know, good, wholesome, you know, friends. And they're like, what? It's like for someone who's walking with the Lord, who understands this, this gathering here is, yes, it's a fellowship. It's a ministry, it's a one another ministry. But we're all here to praise and worship the Lord. That's what we're here to do. This, this is a Christian gathering, by the way. This is, this is, not, this is not a seeker-sensitive church. We, we hope that your lives are a testimony of God's grace in your own lives, what He's doing in your lives. And healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. So, you know, that's how it works. But some people within the church... They're just looking, hey, I just want to hang out with some people who, you know, are kind of good. And then, and then you come to realize, oh, they're, they're, they're not good. 
they're in many ways just like me, you know. Yeah, no, but we're saved by grace and we're hopefully allowing the Lord to sanctify us, to be working on us and, and that we would more and more reflect the glory of God, you know, his character to others, that he may be honored and praised and glorified, that we would lead them to him. But this man was not rightly clothed to be in the presence of the king. Romans chapter 13, verse, verses 13 and 14 says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I think oftentimes we fail to speak about righteousness and holiness. The church is to be righteous and holy. Sometimes we justify, we want to justify our actions and, and remaining in our sin and say, you know, that's, it's just too hard. It's like, no, 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 we're called to holiness. We're called to righteous living. That doesn't mean self-righteousness. It means, it means surrendering to the Lord and, and, and doing everything in your power to surrender to the Lord and to submit to Him, walking in the Spirit that we would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not to comp- continue to submit and surrender to the flesh, but continually submit and surrender to the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, to glorify the Lord, and hopefully our obedience to the Word as a response to the love that we've been first demonstrated through Jesus Christ. There are those, again, within the fellowship of the saints, that is Christian fellowship, that are not genuine, and their lives reflect that they are not genuine believers by what we just read. There's no newness of self in Christ. Their desires are still of the things of the old self because it is the present self still. They are clothed without, with corruption and not the righteousness of Christ. Have your desires changed in Christ? Or are you still clothed with the desires of the old self? Is there a struggle? Yes, there is. Absolutely. There's, there's, I will not deny the fact that there is struggle, but there's whole new desires. Completely new desires. The man who thought he, he could come without any sincerity toward the king and his son met a terrible fate. And he was bound and thrown into outer darkness, utter darkness, where there was intense suffering. This is saying that apart from enjoying the king's feast... There is suffering which says that those that were indifferent, hostile, and unchanged by the gospel or the good news all shared the same consequences, the same fate. And Jesus closes this with this. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is how Jesus concluded this parable that he began saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call. Many people hear the urgent call of the gospel, but only a certain percentage responds properly or rightly or genuinely. Many may also be translated 
all when regarding the common Jewish usage of this word. And few is a number noticeably less than all. That's what we have there. The word called is not the irresistible calling that the Calvinists refer to in their acronym TULIP, which they say means that for those who are chosen, the Holy Spirit is irresistible when He calls them. He cannot be denied. It negates the exercise of free will. But we know biblically, this is just not true. Or we wouldn't be able to quench the Spirit, deny the Spirit, or reject the Spirit, of which the Bible is very clear that people have and do even today. In fact, this parable speaks of the rejection of the king's invite, even though many are called. This, this parable itself, if you read it in its context, the whole thing from start to finish, there was, a, uh, there was an exercising of people's free will. Was there not? We read it for ourselves. How can you deny that? Chosen refers to the community of the elect. This is to corporate and not individual election. The church was chosen. The church is the elect. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Who did He die for? This is all in regards to Tulip. you know. And you guys can go back and, and read this. Limited, the L, just so you know, is limited atonement. Believing that Christ's shed blood was only for the elect. Not for the world. But even John 3.16. We can go to that verse alone. For God so loved the world, all mankind, that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. So chosen refers to the community of the elect. We, We can go on and on about this. Right, But for the sake of what we're going through this morning, I just wanted to make this abundantly clear because this is how Jesus ends this portion of this parable. I'm like, oh, Lord, you had to finish it like that. (laughs) Right? Listen, there's divine sovereignty and human responsibility that are both part of salvation and the realization of God's grace. One does nothing to be saved except to accept it and freely receive it by grace through faith or reject it altogether. We know that as we look through Scripture, that is evident. That is super clear. The invite goes out. You can either accept it or reject it. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Well, I mean, if the elect can perish, then they're not the elect. Right? As, as Calvinists believe. So he's not speaking of them. He's speaking of all mankind. He's not, wi- wi- he's not desiring, he's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But sadly, many will perish because they do not respond to the open and free invitation of God to come and feast with them, just as the parable makes clear. And so in closing, the king's invitation is there. It is for all. It is for you. How do you respond? How have you responded? Will you respond? If you're here this morning, and perhaps you have responded, you you do know Jesus as Lord, as Savior. You did not have an indifference toward Him and His invitation of forgiveness of your sins, eternal life, 
through him and only through him. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Have you confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior? If you haven't, then may I pray that today would be, this moment would be the day of salvation for you. The moment in which you respond and you act. You don't delay. You don't procrastinate. I, I also pray that none of you are like this last man who were not properly clothed. That are here for some other reason other than just simply, I am a child of God and I have come to worship and praise Him. I want to sit at His feet. I want to glean from Him. I, I, I want to learn from Him. I want to grow in Him. All of those things. If you're here for any other reason, for some kind of, I'm here because so-and-so forced me to be here or... Um, you know, I wanted to appease someone else. You know, that's the wrong reason. And I pray that no one is, is not clothed in Christ, putting on Christ. So I'm going to pray. And if that's you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or if you're here for any other reason, I, I would ask that right now you respond to the invitation of coming to Jesus Christ, knowing Him as Lord, as Savior, and giving your heart and life completely to Him. For that, you're the joint heir with Christ of all of God's riches and eternal life. What can you give for that? Absolutely nothing. For Jesus paid it all on the cross for us. You bring nothing, and He gives you everything. You give Him your sins, and He gives you salvation. What an exchange. Heavenly Father, we thank You for loving us the way You have, the way You do, and how it is that You extend the invitation of salvation to all mankind. I pray, Lord, that this morning there would be a response that if there is anyone here who does not know you, that right now in the privacy of their own seed, wherever they are, Lord, that you would speak to them, that they would understand your love and your grace and how it is that you are extending your hand of salvation to them. And that if they simply surrender their lives to you, confessing their sins to you and professing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believing that He is the Son of God who died for their sins, three days later rose from the grave and today sits at Your right hand. Lord, then they will be saved themselves, Father. I pray that today would be the day of response. They would come to know salvation in Jesus Christ. For anyone who's been indifferent or even hostile toward the Lord, I, I pray, Father, that they would all also respond that they would repent of that and, and come and not be in that position of heart toward you, but that they would completely surrender to you and, and Lord, know what it is to walk in the joy and the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you once more. We ask your blessing and we pray these things in Jesus' name.
sing.